Looking toward the midterms, the GOP is bouncing back in states that Democrats were all set to pick up. It's time to toast more beers for Brett, baby. We will examine the Kavanaugh effect taking place all over our country. Then Hillary Clinton pontificates on how to treat sexual assault accusers. CNN puts on a modern day minstrel show and cocaine myths turns the Pablo Escobar all the way up to 11. Sebastian Gorka stops by to discuss why we fight. Finally, on this day in history, the phrase going postal enters the American lexicon. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. The Kavanaugh effect. Hip, hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. Oh, how delicious. We have a lot more of that. Uh, and we're going to, I'm going to need a refill on this. So if you could get Cory Booker on the line, we're, I'm going to quickly, we're going to make some money, honey, with an ad. But if you could get Cory Booker on the line, I'm going to need a refill. Uh, before we get into the Kavanaugh effect on all the midterm polls today, Let's thank our wonderful sponsor over at Ring. You know Ring. I talk about Ring all the time. Ring is super cool. It is the Jetsons. It's the video doorbell that connects to your cell phone. They've totally changed the home security game with this doorbell. Uh, it's, you know, the neighborhood watch is like very 20th century. This is very 21st century. So they send me these clips every once in a while to see Ring in action. It's great, you know, because you can see the person who's coming to your door. You can talk to them. You can <laughs> scare them away. So in this one, a crazy looking guy walks up to a home. The first thing you hear is him trying to kick down the door. Doesn't work that well. Uh, and then the homeowner catches him. Hello? Hey. Stop Are you that. okay? Leave my house or I'm calling the police. Okay. What you need to do... Hey, leave my house. Stop now or I'm calling the police. Why would you tell me that? Because you're trying to push my door in. Leave now. We're all about to smash what's in there. I'm calling the police. Okay. I am the police. <laughs> you know, it's really not nice to make fun of that guy because he's missing a lot of teeth. And, you know, but I, I don't think he's the police. I, that's what I'm saying is I don't think he's, he is the police. Uh, right now, you can save up to $150 on a ring of security kit at ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. These things are super cool. They're very inexpensive for the quality and what you get out of it. Ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. $150 off when you go to ring.com slash Knowles. Okay, so we've been talking about the Kavanaugh effect now for two weeks meaning the, well, we've been talking about the effect of Democrats on the Kavanaugh confirmation, which is shameful and disgraceful. But now we're seeing the Kavanaugh effect on the midterm elections. And this is hurting Democrats in races across the country, not just the swing states, but races that we were pretty certain that we were going to lose are now uh, looking like they might flip. For reaction, we turn to Corey Spartacus Booker. I hurt. When Dick Durbin called me, I had tears of rage when I heard about this experience in that meeting. And for you not to feel that hurt and that pain. Mm. Wow. Could we, I'm sorry, could we just uh, one more time uh, before we really get into the show here, could you, could you tell me, uh, Senator Spartacus, uh, what did you feel? I hurt. When Dick Durbin called me, I had tears of rage when I heard about this experience in that meeting. And for you not to feel that hurt and mm. that pain Mm. 
Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, tears of rage. That's what Democrats are feeling all around the country here. The Kavanaugh effect is, is affecting a lot of races. So we've got Dean Heller in Nevada. That race is turning around. Martha McSally right now in Arizona has a six-point lead over her Democrat opponent, Kirsten Sinema. Uh, so this is the race, at, you know, with the... Uh, uh, we thought Arizona was probably going to flip with John McCain dying, with, uh, you know, Flake stepping down. And right now, Martha McSally is leading. Uh, there's also in that race a Green Party candidate, Angela Green. Um, uh, that, that coincidence is just too much, right? She, she must have just, uh, she was probably like some random street person. She thought, oh, I know what I can do. I know how I can make some money for the next two months. The Green Party, Angela Green. So she, she's going to play a role too. She's going to pull some votes away from the Democrat, it seems. Uh, why is that the case? Why aren't the Democrats united? Because they overplayed their hand on Brett Kavanaugh. You know, it's, it's very easy to, to separate people by race. It, it's much harder to separate people by gender because the genders are constantly unified and together. We all have mothers. Uh, many of us have wives and girlfriends. Uh, you know, women have fathers and sons and husbands and boyfriends. So it's it's much harder if you overplay your hands. If it, if it seems that you're being unfair and you're assassinating the character of a guy just for being a guy, just because you can, uh, that's a that's a real problem. So and and we're seeing that you know we're seeing this play out not just in the Senate. We're seeing it on campuses as well. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, Marsha Blackburn is up 18 points on Democrat Phil Bredesen in Tennessee. A little note of warning on this. This is according to the New York Times that she's up 18 points. I don't really believe this. Before the race showed her up just, I think, six points, according to even the most ambitious polls. Right now, they have polls in real time on the New York Times. So you're seeing numbers come in as they are contacting people. I don't know. This is obviously about the uh, entertainment aspect of elections, but I'd, I'm a little skeptical still. 18 points is pretty pretty good. So even if she's really only up eight points or nine points or even six points, uh, pretty good. And and those numbers were not looking that way before. In Texas, remember we were told that Beta O'Rourke, uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke, he goes by Beto or Beto, but uh, he's, he's colloquially known among Republicans as Beta. Beta O'Rourke is now down to 44 points. Cruz looks at he's up at 53. I mean, that's a, that's a sizable lead. Uh, again, it's it's still close. He's still within striking distance, but those numbers that that gap really widened because of Kavanaugh. Right now, Nate Silver has dropped his prediction that Democrats will take the Senate uh, down to 19.4 percent likelihood. So th that's the that's, this is an all-time low for this midterm cycle. Uh, really not looking good. Now, a word of caution: I don't want Republicans to get complacent. The Democrats, according to Silver, have a 78 percent chance of taking the House. Uh, which, you know, historically speaking, they're likely to take the House. They probably, as a, as a matter of trends, they should take the House. Um, but their chances of taking the, se the Senate are much lower now. And then that brings us to North Dakota. This race is one of the most beautiful ones. Heidi Heitkamp, ever since this Kavanaugh thing has dragged on, her numbers have been falling. And then she finally decided she was going to vote no on Kavanaugh. And, you know, Joe Manchin ended up voting yes, another swing state Democrat, a Democrat in a state that voted for Trump. Heidi Heitkamp said no. Why? Because she's got a lot of pressure on her from the left. Money is going to uh, go away. Donor, donor money, of course, also foundations, organizations that are donating to her. Um, that money will dry up. Those activists will dry up. Those ground game supporters will dry up if she voted for what she thinks about. Uh, you know, if, if she voted for what is just and 
also what probably would be politically right in a general election, that would have all gone away. So look, the Kavanaugh thing was exposed as a total farce and uh, Heidi Heitkamp, however, now is trying to have it both ways. She was always trying to have it both ways. We'll talk about politicians who try to have it both ways. Now, so she votes no on Kavanaugh. Here's Heidi trying to explain this away. Make sure I understand. You listened to his testimony. Yeah, I listened to his testimony, and then I went back and watched his testimony. With the sound turned off. What does that do for you? Because I think that there's so many different ways that you communicate, um, and you learn a lot by doing that. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an old trick that I use to really try and understand what's being communicated. <laughs> that's the, that's the, old, the old trick that I try to use. This is the old trick that I, so when reality doesn't agree with my preconceived ideological convenient notions, this is a little trick that I use. I take my two fingers and I plug them into my ear and then I close my eyes really tight and I make this sound. La, 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 I can't hear you. La, 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 la. That's the Heidi Heitkamp trick. This is the worst excuse she could have possibly come up with. It says, you know, you heard Kavanaugh and you found his testimony compelling, right? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, totally. No, what he said, when he said what he said, then I, I believed it. So then I did this little trick. I, I muted him. I put, I muted him. I listened with the sound off. Uh, okay. This is something, by the way, sometimes, sometimes at night, sweet little Elisa will, will say to me, I'll, I'll mention something and, uh, I'll say, you know, I talked about this on the show today. She goes, oh, Mac, I listen to your show every day on mute. I, every day I, I take it up on my iTunes and I click the mute button and I listen to the whole show. That's, that's Heidi Heitkamp talking about Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, I listen to Brett Kavanaugh all the time on mute. Okay. Uh, really sad. It's the best that they've got. This, this obviously is an emperor has no clothes moment. I mean, she was just totally caught with it. The best she could say is, yeah, well, I listened to him and he was compelling. So then I forgot. Then I tried to forget. Um, but also it, you know, it shows the difference between conviction politicians and convenience politicians. And this is an important distinction because when you look throughout history, history has a probably many more convenience politicians than conviction ones, but history doesn't look kindly on convenience politicians. People who just go with the wind, don't stand for anything at all, just want people to like them, just want to aggrandize, as to self-aggrandize. So just look around the Second World War, you've got uh, Lloyd George, or Lloyd George Neville Chamberlain, these squishy, wishy, wishy-washy people. And then you've got Winston Churchill, who... Look, Winston Churchill had major election losses. He had major victories for civilization, but he was a conviction politician. He knew what he believed. He knew what he believed about the Soviet Union, what he believed about Hitler, what he believed about Nazi Germany. All these other guys, squishy, wishy, Neville Chamberlain, Lloyd George, history looks on them like total cowards. In modern parlance, they'd be called cucks. You know, it's just, it, nobody wants to be that. Uh, Dante puts uh, the apathetic in, in the first, first circle of hell. When, he, when Dante goes into hell, when he passes through the gates of hell, the first people he encounters are the apathetic, the people, uh, the angels who didn't rebel against God, but they didn't defend God. They just were always in it for themselves. They kind of were a little wishy-washy. They didn't have any convictions. Uh, those guys, uh, he sometimes is misquoted. You know, there's that quote, uh, all it takes for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And this is variously attributed to Edmund Burke and, and Dante and all of these people, none of whom said those precise words. Uh, but that's where it comes from in Dante. It's the first souls that he encounters and they're damned. Mercy doesn't want them. Justice doesn't want them. Heaven doesn't want them. Hell doesn't want them. They're just, not, they're just in it for themselves. And that is uh, politicians like Heidi Heitkamp. Uh, 
They're, and it's so pathetic. I mean, nobody, why would you put yourself through this? Why would you put yourself through the grueling, awful experience of running for office, sitting in office, going to all those spaghetti dinners, going to constituent town halls? Why, why would you do that if it's for nothing other than yourself? What is the point of that? Uh, you know, the, the convenience politician par excellence is Bill Clinton. He, of course, he is the one. He's back in the news now as well. Uh, but, he, you know, the, Bill Clinton actually had a basically good presidency. He had a lot of good things come out of his presidency. Not in the first couple of years, but only after Newt Gingrich and the Republicans won the Congress and Clinton went along with them. But he, there, was, there were many achievements of welfare reform, tax reform, uh, free trade deals. There were a lot of good things that came out of the Clinton presidency. Um, his wife is a little less so. You know, his, his wife, too, goes along with the spirit of the age. You remember in 2008, she said abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Then she came around and said uh, abortion, you know, should be a sacrament, basically. And <laughs> she's running in 2016. And she just, you know, safe, legal, and rare never made any sense. If abortion is just some meaningless medical procedure, why should it be rare? If it's tantamount to murder, why should it be legal? You know, just trying to be mealy-mouthed, have their cake and eat it too. Bill Clinton would say this. I think he was asked about the Gulf War, what he would have done with regard to sending in American troops in the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. And he, I, I'm, I'm only slightly misquoting him when he said, well, I would have uh, gone along with the opinion of the majority, but I would have felt uh, empathy with the feeling of the minority. Uh, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. That's the that's his campaign. Right? I feel your pain. And so now the Clintons are back in the news because history doesn't look kindly on those people who stand for nothing. And uh, the the other problem, by the way, with people who stand for nothing is they can really become radicalized. Hillary, more than her husband, had leftist convictions. She wrote her whole college thesis on Saul Alinsky on rules for radicals. She loved the guy. She would write to him all the time. And the trouble is when the spirit of the age moves far left, moves in a radical direction, they are there. They become radicals. And Hillary, more than her husband, tried to push the spirit of the age in that direction as well. So now they're going on this big stadium tour uh, to do, I don't know, to do a two-man two show, to do a little vaudeville act. Uh, probably a bad idea, though, during the Me Too age. Because do you, look, I don't know if you're a history buffs or not, but uh, Bill Clinton had a few accusations thrown against him, and they were much more credible than Brett Kavanaugh. So Christiane Amanpour, to her credit, she's a terrible journalist, but to her credit, she asks Hillary Clinton, what, what about the allegations against your husband? Here's what she has to say. Obviously, you're going to be prepared to have questions about that moment in 1998, the impeachment. Um, the allegations of sexual harassment against your own husband. Are you prepared to answer those questions? Is he prepared to answer them? And how do you see that similar or different from what President Trump is being accused of and Kavanaugh and others today? Well, there's a very significant difference. Uh, and that is the intense, long-lasting, partisan investigation that was conducted in the 90s. If, um, you know, the Republicans, starting with President Trump on down, uh, want uh, a comparison, they should welcome such an investigation themselves. Excuse me? What, you were asked about the allegations. You were asked about the allegations. And she says, oh, it's, the difference is that 
darn monster Ken Starr. That's the difference. The vast right-wing conspiracy. So, well, maybe you could talk about the allegations first. Also, if you want an investigation, Brett Kavanaugh just testified more than all other Supreme Court nominees combined. And he, uh, he also had a seventh FBI investigation into him. So even that doesn't make any sense. But just look at that. She learns nothing. First of all, she doesn't believe anything. That's why for her, it always just goes back to this investigation and they wronged me and me, 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 me. But she, she was singing this exact same tune in the 1990s. Here is Hillary Clinton, could have been yesterday, though it was actually 20 years ago, talking to Matt Lauer on the Today Show about the allegations against her husband. First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton candidly answered questions with NBC's Matt Lauer on the Today Show this morning. She wasted no time in slamming special prosecutor Kenneth Starr, accusing him of being behind the allegations that have rocked the presidency. We get a politically motivated prosecutor who is allied with the right-wing opponents of my husband, who has literally spent four years looking at every telephone... $30 million. More than that now, but looking at every telephone call we've made, every check we've ever written, scratching for dirt, intimidating witnesses, doing everything possible to try to make some accusation against my husband. If he were to be asked today, Mrs. Clinton, do you think he would admit that he again has caused pain in this marriage? No, absolutely not. And he shouldn't. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. That's, that's the story. The vast right-wing conspiracy. That was her phrase. By the way, I had to change the clip there at the end. Talk about conspiracies. When you watch that first clip on YouTube, the audio cuts out when you get to the money line, when you get to the vast right-wing conspiracy. I don't know. There might be a vast left-wing conspiracy there. But that's what she said. It's all about the vast right-wing conspiracy. Forget the allegations. She was singing that same tune then. She doesn't learn anything. She doesn't learn that you can't call half the country deplorable and irredeemable. She's still doing it two years later. She doesn't learn any of these things. She's unable to see the hypocrisy too of the investigations. You heard there, you know, Matt Lauer chiming in, oh, it's been $30 million. Oh, it's been so blah, 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 blah. And uh, now I wonder what Hillary Clinton thinks about the Mueller investigation into Trump. I wonder what she thinks about special counsels, independent counsels. Obviously it would have flipped and she can't see the hypocrisy because of the defining feature of the Clintons, which is shamelessness and pride, hubris. They go hand in hand. If you're very, very prideful, you can't uh, you can't see your own flaws you, and you can't feel any shame. So the, the defining feature of the Clintons, they could look you in the face and say, I did not have sex with that woman. Two seconds later, yeah, I, I think I might've had sex with that woman, but listen, you should still believe me. Uh, no shame at all. And, and that's what's motivating this tour. That, look, it's going to be a stadium tour. All of the questions are going to be highly vetted. Of course, they're not, no one's going to be able to get in their face with a camera or anything like that. But Even so, they can't see that in in the Me Too era, in the era that was made possible because Hillary Clinton lost, they were finally, Democrats were finally able to talk about the uh, sexual misconduct typified by the Clinton administration. In the Me Too era, maybe it's not a great idea, Hillary, for you and Bill to be out there doing a little soft shoe on stage. They can't see it. It's so much pride and it's so dishonest. And, And speaking of conspiracies. Speaking of the vast right-wing conspiracy, uh, I will point out at least our conspiracy is honest. 
at least the vast right-wing conspiracy, not the, not what she's talking about and not the left-wing conspiracy, but the, the actual right-wing conspiracy, you know, that we're all a part of here. Welcome to the conspiracy. Um, at least we're honest about it. We're not pretending. We're not being sanctimonious. Um, Cocaine Mitch uh, was really excellent about this. He's turned the, uh, the Kofefe up to like Pablo Escobar levels. Here's Cocaine Mitch explaining why he's completely ready to confirm a Supreme Court justice or implying that he's completely ready to uh, confirm a Supreme Court justice, even in the election year of 2020. If Donald Trump were to name somebody in the final year of his first term in 2020, are you saying that you would go ahead with that nomination? Well, I understand your question. And what I told you was what the, what the history of the Senate has been. You have to go back to the 1880 to find the last time a vacancy created in a presidential election year on the Supreme Court was confirmed by a Senate of a different party than the president. So, That's the history. So if you can't if answer my direct a, question, we, are you saying that if well, Donald the, Trump... The, the, the answer to your question is we'll see whether there's a vacancy in 2020. <laughs> I love that answer. So uh, don't you think it's a little hypocritical? Well, you know, I just, uh, I just, well, do you remember uh, in uh, 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue? It's actually even less deceptive than that because what, he, what McConnell is saying is, yeah, this, that just, that's not how it works. Trust, and nobody knows how the Senate works better than Mitch McConnell. This guy knows how the machinery of the Senate works. And he's saying, yeah, no, of course, in an election year when the Senate is controlled by the party by a different party than the White House, of course they're not going to confirm a nominee. Why would they? They haven't done it since 1880. He's not saying, he's not coming up with some sanctimonious hubbub. He's not dragging out women and, and you know, manipulating women who may or may not have suffered any assaults and putting them on TV and using them as tearful human shields. He's saying, no, that's just the way politics works. And I'll be very honest about it. I love it. And that, but, you know, he doesn't quite answer the question. So then Chris Wallace says, well, don't you think it's hypocrite? Are you going to confirm somebody in 2020? And uh, Mitch McConnell says, well, uh, just one second, Chris, just if you would excuse me for one second. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to see in 2020. Oh, hoo-ha. And, uh, and he's exactly right. That's exactly the right answer. Chuck Grassley's kind of playing games and being a little deceptive, but Mitch is being spot on honest about it and honestly political. Uh, great. I'll take that any day. President Trump is honestly political. He's honestly political in what he says. And I think people like that. They, you know, some, some sanctimonious people want to pretend that there's something uh, unpleasant about it. I don't think, so. I find that much more pleasant than Hillary Clinton smearing her husband's victims and her husband's accusers. And then talking about vast right-wing conspiracies and being so sanctimonious, quivering lip on, on Matt Lauer. Absolutely. Speaking of why we fight, I have got the great Sebastian Gorka coming on the show today. He's got a wonderful book, why we fight defeating America's enemies with no apologies. Uh, he is, he gives us a great insight having worked in the white house with the administration without further ado, Dr. Gorkin, we got a lot more coming up after that. Dr. Gorka, thank you for being here. My pleasure, Michael, my pleasure. You know, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of everything you write and tweet. And when you're on television, I really like the book, why we fight. And in this moment, this Kavanaugh moment. I'm thinking not just of why we fight abroad, but why we fight at home as well. This was a brutal fight. Uh, you, you're an insider. You've been uh, in the administration. What lessons do you think conservatives can take away from this bloody Kavanaugh battle? 
Very, very simply that the Democrats have made their Faustian bargain uh, when they want power, they will do whatever it takes to get the power. They take a man. I mean, look, this is not an insult. I love the man. He's a godly man. But he's actually a boring Boy Scout. I mean, it, <laughs> you couldn't find a more milk toast, decent guy than Brett Kavanaugh. And they're prepared to accuse him of serial rape and attempted murder. It means they have no morals. I mean, it's not immoral, Michael. It's amoral. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a sociopathic level of greed for power. And, and it also demonstrates that they've never given up. They lost the election, but they will grasp at anything to maintain power. And if that means turning the Supreme Court into a legislating radical body, then that's what they're going to do. But I have to say one thing. I know he's my old boss and we stay in touch. What the president did yesterday was epic. <laughs> to the it was terrific. World. I mean, just to the whole world to say he is innocent in front of his mother, his wife, his daughters. It was the right thing to do. And it's pure Trump. It was, it was total moral clarity as well. This is something I'm constantly surprised by because people say, oh, President Trump, he never has read a book. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't. I say, okay, regardless of any conjecture you might have, he is able to identify clear moral issues. His tweet about Christopher Columbus was excellent. I mean, even from that, even from these issues, he really does seem to uh, cut through the fog uh, I, I want to know. And, and, and do, we, do we elect a president to give us epistemological discourse <laughs> and, and ontological debate? No, we'll leave that to Drew Claven. I mean, seriously. Right, that's right. And I, I would like to know, too, speaking of uh, epistemological debate, we're even reading the tea leaves. You know, Ambassador Nikki Haley has stepped down at the UN. Everybody is rending their garments, gnashing their teeth. I think I'm the only person who like doesn't really care that much. She did a good job and now she'll do something else. We'll get another guy in there. The UN doesn't matter. As an insider, what is your take on this? It's so funny. So I'm in New York because Why We Fight came out today. I'm doing back-to-back -back media. I went on a conservative radio show that was trying to hypothesize, is she the author of Anonymous? Is that what? And I said, on live radio, I said, guys, take the tinfoil hat off. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Look, look at the body language of the president and Nikki in that oval. This is the oval office presser. You don't get press. I mean, you know, Rex Tillerson finds out from a tweet that he's been canned. OK, <laughs> Nikki gets the oval office presser. The body language is I respect you. I like you. You like me. You've been a great trooper. I got teenage uh, kids. I'm going to take a break now. It's, look, sometimes, I know you like them, a cigar is just a cigar, right? <laughs> That's a very good point. That's a very good, and you know, on the role of the UN, which I can't wait until that becomes the Donald Trump presidential condominiums in six more years, <laughs> but before they knock it to rubble. Somebody just tweeted to me, they should, it should turn, they should turn it into a veteran's home, a VA veteran's <laughs> home. 
with a nice view of the river. Wouldn't that be great? That would be so beautiful. Yeah, our veterans deserve waterfront front views in Manhattan, I think. <laughs> Certainly more than uh, Iran and China. And uh, When you look around at the geopolitical threats, one thing I've always loved about you is you speak very bluntly. You don't pull your punches, and then you, you can back it all up. And I love at the end of Why We Fight, toward the end of Why We Fight, you dedicate a chapter to Whitaker Chambers. And I think young conservatives don't even know who Whitaker Chambers is. They've never read Witness. Why include Chambers? And what, what should conservatives remember from our not-so-distant past? So I put three heroes in there who wore uniforms. Uh, they're vin- so the book's about strategic threats, what Donald Trump's going to do about them, and then stories about real heroes. And I thought to myself, hang on, you don't have to wear a uniform or carry a gun to be a hero. And, and Whitaker Chambers is that man. And, and, and Justice Kavanaugh is that man. And the really, fa- I mean, I didn't plan this because the book was, went to the printers before you know, this ordeal he went through. But Whitaker Chambers speaks to what we've just witnessed over the last month. Because the Democrats have done this before. Right. 1948, this man stood up for the truth. He was accused of being homosexual, a drunk, he was accused of killing his brother. All of it were lies, total and utter Democrat lies. Why? Because the man he accused of being a Soviet agent was a, a darling of the Democrat Party, Al Jahis, who had to be defended at all costs. We now have the proof, because after Chambers died, we have the Venona decrypts that Hiss was a Soviet agent. But this was 1948, Michael. So, you know, Whitaker Chambers is important because he was Kavanaugh before Kavanaugh was born. And it tells you everything you need to know about the Democrats. It's so true. And that history in particular is so important. I'm so glad you included Chambers in there because so much of what happened to Richard Nixon comes out of that moment because Nixon believed Chambers, opposed Hiss. And I, I think that's just been lost even to young conservatives. So I've got to let you go. I know you're doing a ton of media uh, you know, right now, back-to-back media. Uh, what should we take away now? Forgetting about the inner personnel fights in the administration, looking at the United Nations, looking around at all of our geostrategic threats, what should we be paying attention to, especially as we go into the midterms? Okay. This isn't meant to be flipped, but the Donald will take care of all the international stuff. I mean, He'll just deal with it. Doesn't matter. Russia, North Korea, China. Iran, China. He'll deal with it. I mean, the guy is just, his strategic intuitive sense is spooky. My one message is never give up on him and never give up on, on the country. He is taking the, 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 the brickbats for us. He, he stood up for, for Kavanaugh because he's been through it. He's walked through the valley in the last two years, everything they've accused him of. So the president will never be a neoconservative. He's doing what he's doing for love of country. My one message is really simple. If you like what you've seen in the last two years, if you were shocked by what the Democrats did to Kavanaugh, get out and vote and get everybody you know who's going to sit at home to vote because the stakes, it's not an exaggeration, exaggeration. The stakes are more important than anything else you could do in your lifetime right now. And while you're going out to vote, 
you should also stop at a bookstore. I actually don't think bookstores exist anymore, but you know, at least stop in your car and order on Amazon or something. Why we fight. It's really terrific. It's great to read. You should read it before the midterms. As you're getting your subscription to the other kingdom. That's right. That's very important. You have to, while you're on your phone, open up two windows, subscribe another kingdom coming out this week and uh, why we fight a wonderful book. Uh, good luck on the media blitz. Dr. Gork, always good to have you here and uh, we'll have to have you back soon. God bless. Oh, I love talking to that guy. He, I, I also just want his voice. I want to, if I, I can't do his voice, unfortunately, I'll have to, I'll have to work it up. I'm, I've finally been able to do my Mitch McConnell impression, so maybe I'll, I'll have to work up my, my Dr. Gorka voice. Uh, still a lot more to get to. Before I do that, before we talk about uh, Rand Paul's predictions that someone's going to be assassinated in this insane, hysterical leftist climate, and Kanye West uh, prompting CNN to do a minstrel show, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Go to dailywire.com. Why? You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin show. You get the Ben Shapiro show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag. None of that matters. There, is, there are tears of rage that are coming across this country. Tears of rage. Tears of rage! And if you don't have your FDA-approved leftist tears vessel, you're going to drown. Take precautions now. I can only do so much. I can only warn you. I can't save you if you won't help yourself. Go to dailywire.com. Get the pumpkin spice, Cory Booker, Spartacus spice, leftist tears tumbler. And we'll be right back. Rand Paul is predicting that this insane climate ginned up by the left, by Democrats, I don't want there to be any confusion. I don't think there is any moral equivalence. I don't think both sides are to blame. I think the left is to blame. I think the people who fund the left are to blame, like George Soros and others. I think the hysterical elected officials of the Democratic Party, like Maxine Waters, who calls for violence against Republicans and Trump supporters. I think the leaders of the Democrat Party who encourage people to chase down Republicans in their restaurants and public spaces, in their homes where their children sleep. I think they are to blame. They're the ones who are creating this awful climate. And Rand Paul is suggesting that somebody might get uh, hurt or killed from this. Here he is. I think what people need to realize that uh, when people like Cory Booker say, get up in their face, he, he may think that that's okay. But what he doesn't realize is that for about every thousand person that might want to get up in your face, one of them is going to be unstable enough to commit violence. When I was at the ball field and Steve Scalise was nearly killed, the guy shooting up the ball field and shooting, I think five or six people were, were shot. Steve Scalise was almost killed. He was yelling, this is for health care. He had a list in his pocket of conservative Republicans that he wanted to kill. You know, when I was attacked in my yard and had six of my ribs broken, uh, pneumonia, lung contusion, all of that, these are people that are unstable. We don't want to encourage them. We have to somehow ratchet it down and say we're not encouraging that violence is ever okay, ever a reason for or a means for trying to resolve things. I feel that there's going to be an assassination. I really worry that someone is going to be killed and uh, that those who are ratcheting up the, the, the conversation, those who are ratcheting up saying get in their face, they have to realize that they bear some responsibility if this elevates to violence. Absolutely right. 100% right. And it's not, I think some people are, are hearing what Rand Paul is saying. They're saying, oh, well, that's hyperbolic rhetoric. 
Uh, it's not when it's coming from Rand Paul. I mean, this guy, talk about bad place, uh, wrong place at the wrong time. This guy was at the congressional baseball shooting when that lefty tried to shoot up the game. He was at, uh, he was just mowing his lawn when his neighbor broke six of his ribs, R really put him down for the count for a long time. Um, this is not idle chatter. The guy's been attacked twice and his life has been threatened both times. Uh, and this is a this is a real problem. You know, there there have been assassinations in this country. Presidents have been assassinated. Many presidents have been assassinated. Have been shot. Uh, ju just in, in the 1960s, people were getting shot. Major political figures were getting shot. Presidents were being killed. Uh, there's no reason to think that this can't happen again. You know, we're, we're in this complacent moment because everything is so easy and our culture is so decadent and everything is so convenient. We don't ever have to even leave our couches if we don't want to. Things can go south real fast. You know, everything stays pretty nice until it all plummets south real fast. And, and people are careless with their rhetoric. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be strong, that you shouldn't say exactly what you think, that you shouldn't be perfectly blunt. I think you should. Be. I'm, I'm advocating that much more than mealy-mouthed, milk-toast, uh, echo-not-a-voice politics. But you've got to know what you're talking about. You've got to be precise in your language. The left wants to be imprecise in its language so that it can encourage hysterical little children to go out and shriek and scream in the gallery of the Senate while Brett Kavanaugh is being confirmed to the court. Wah, rah, Kavanaugh, what have you to do with us, Brett of Maryland? Wah, rah. No, nobody, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be, act like an adult. I mean, it is a real immaturity. It's a, it's a true immaturity here. That word hasn't even really been used to describe the left, but that's what it is. It's an intellectual immaturity, a political immaturity, and, and a, a spiritual immaturity, a moral immaturity. They don't know that much. They're not educated, meaning they haven't been brought up the right way, and they're not behaving like adults, and they really should, because uh, children can, be, can do really reckless things. And uh, I hope I hope it doesn't come to that, but Rand Paul might have a good point. Uh, before we end here, this is my favorite story of the entire day. CNN debasing itself as, as best it can. And I know that that's a really high bar. They have a panel on, on uh, Don Lemon's show. And uh, here is, look, you know, Kanye West has stated his political views. He likes the president. He likes him for a number of reasons. Uh, he... As far as uh, pop musicians and actors and actresses go, Kanye West is one of the more thoughtful and articulate of them. You know, I mean, when you listen to like, who's, who's the girl? Uh, not, um, uh, Ap no, not Apatow. I forget. One of those girls, though, she was going to run for the Senate. I mean, she, like screeching and screaming. Uh, no, nobody wants that. I and mean, uh, how do you narrow it down to just one? Uh, Kanye West, on the whole, actually, is in the probably the upper 50% of the pack. Here is how CNN treats him. Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read. Um, and, and we have this now, and now Donald Trump is going to use it and pervert it, and he's going to have somebody who can stand with him and take pictures. <laughs> Just looking at Scott's face. <laughs> Listen, black folks are about to you know, trade Kanye West in the racial draft, okay? They've had it with him and he's an attention whore like the president. He's all of a sudden now the, the, the model spokesperson. He's, he's the token Negro of the, of the Trump administration. This is ridiculous. And no one should be taking Kanye West seriously. He's clearly has issues. He's already been hospitalized. This is what happens when Negroes don't read books. That's uh, Don Lemon. And then the other people on the panel just going right along with it. Oh yeah, he's the token Negro. He's the he, 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 ha, 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 ha. And what this amounts to, 
what CNN announced is a, is a modern day minstrel show. That's what it is. That's, that's what they're doing. They are, because what is a minstrel show? Minstrel shows when you go on camera, you go on stage and you perform a caricature of what your audience expects you to look because of your race, because of your gender, because of someone else's race, someone else's gender, and you play that caricature and you do that soft shoe. Well, that's what a Negro looks like when he doesn't read books. Ha ha ha. Tee hee hee. That's what that is. It's really, it's really despicable because it's so, it so narrows what people are, not just as individuals, not just within their communities. It, it narrows what whole races are. It shrinks them. It makes them shallow. Uh, I, I had this experience. I was in New Orleans when I was moving out from New York to Los Angeles and I stopped in New Orleans and I got tricked by some hustler on the street. And the guy says, uh, he comes up, he actually comes up to my buddy and he says, Hey man, I'll bet you $10 that I can tell you where you got your shoes, both city and state. So my buddy, I think he bought his shoes in Maine or something. He said, Oh, there's no way. It's an easy $10. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I'll, uh, yeah, you can tell me where I got these shoes, city and state. I'll give you $10. He said, you got them in New Orleans, Louisiana. I said, no, I actually got them in Maine. He said, nope, you got them on your feet right now in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ha, 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 you know, and then my buddy had to pay him 10 bucks. And so, all right, that was a funny joke. So later on, we're walking through, uh, walking down Bourbon Street or something, and some guy turns to us, and he does this same shtick. He goes, hey, man, I'll bet you $10 that you can't tell me where you got the shoes, New Orleans, blah, blah, blah. And I, I cut him off. I was like, yeah, I know where I got my shoes. I got them in New Orleans, Louisiana. No money. And, uh, and then he dropped the whole show. He said, oh, okay, all right, no worries. And he starts behaving like a normal person. And it was really jarring because the line is pretty funny. I'm probably going to use the line myself, you know, that I tell you where you got your shoes. But it was the, it was the performance of it that because this guy, you know, he's hanging out on the streets of New Orleans, he looks a certain way, he's a certain age, he's in a certain place, that he's got to put on a show. He's got to, he's got to kowtow to a certain line that we expect him to, to behave like. And that's exactly what CNN is demanding of Kanye West. That's exactly what Democrats are demanding. That's exactly, and it's not a race thing either. Uh, white, white Democrats are demanding this as well. They're saying, who was it? Uh, some actress tweeted out a picture and said, make Kanye, Kanye again. He's got to stop being Republican. He's got to start He's got to stop being independently minded. He's got to start kowtowing to the line. Black people are supposed to be Democrats. That's what we're telling you. You have to perform this way. It's really narrow. It's really shallow. And I'm really pleased that no less a pop icon, a pop star, that word is abused, icon, but pop star, Kanye West, is, uh, is the one who's breaking out of that. It was, yeah, it was Alyssa Milano. That's right. It was Alyssa Milano who said, make Kanye Kanye again. He's got to behave a certain way. He's, a, he's misbehaving. Do what we tell you to do. Behave the way we tell you to behave. And CNN is doing the same thing. It's a minstrel show. It's really, really despicable. But that's CNN, isn't it? We don't have time for this day in history because I got to go. Too bad. We'll get to it tomorrow. Make sure you get your mailbag questions in. We have uh, a lot to talk about. This has been a whirlwind of a week and it's only Wednesday. So make sure you get those in. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I will see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.